Hello, welcome to the Ride on Crime podcast. I'm Joey Comley. I'm a criminal practitioner uh, who's tried over 100 cases as a prosecutor and a defense counsel in both federal and military courts. And I'm currently the Kentucky State Director for Ride on Crime. Uh, at this podcast today, I'm so very pleased to, to welcome uh, Kentucky's chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, who was first elected in 2012. And as a representative of the citizens of several counties in Western Kentucky, he has additional standing committee assignments uh, that include agriculture, natural resources and energy, veterans, military affairs, public protection, and families and children. In addition to those committees, um, if I mentioned all the interim joint statutory special committees and caucuses, we'd take the entire 20 minute uh, session that we have allotted today. So forgive me, Senator, uh, but I, I do want to mention briefly, Senator Westerfield is a lifelong resident of Christian County, a husband and a father to two children who all four of which attend the New Work Fellowship in Hopkinsville and is a practicing attorney who runs his own civil practice devoted to serving clients across Western Kentucky. Now, Senator, you're no stranger to reform. Um, as early as, as your, your first year, um, you introduced Senate Bill 200 in the 2014 legislative session. Uh, that brought about the largest um, overhaul of our juvenile justice reform in over 30 years. Um, obviously, you've had several assignments uh, that are part of the implementation of that bill. Um, and I want to thank you for just joining us today. Thank you for your tireless work um, in the criminal justice arena. And thank you for um, just being a, a thoughtful, dedicated, and creative uh, leader in this space. I'm glad to be on, Joey. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Um, I want to start off with some of your work on the Juvenile Justice Oversight Committee. Yeah. Um, how would you grade Kentucky's work in that space, and, and, and why would you give it such a grade? <clears throat> well, I think it depends on what, what year we're talking about. Early on, I'd say our, our grade was pretty good. I'd say we had an A or a, an A minus maybe or a B plus at the worst uh, for a number of years after the the enactment of Senate Bill 200 in 2014. There was a great deal of work and a lot of focus and interest on the implementation of the bill. And it was new, so it's understandable that the agencies were all involved in that. Um, that state government, I would not give the same good grade to all of the local stakeholders. Um, there are some, particularly in the in the education space even uh, to a much lesser degree, a much, much lesser degree, the law enforcement and prosecutorial space. There was some reluctance um, to, to buy into the philosophy and the shift that Senate Bill 200 called for uh, in juvenile justice. And, and this is a bill, just for context, only dealt with the offenders on the lowest end of the, the offense spectrum. So this didn't deal with any violent offending youth. These are all the kids, status offending kids and public offense kids on the lowest level felony that Kentucky has. Um, and those with with little or no history so uh i think we did really well as time has gone on and we've gotten more accustomed to the bill and what it requires of all the stakeholders i think there's been a lot of growth uh on the part of those uh stakeholder groups that had some reluctance about it early on uh but now the state government side has not 
not quite kept pace with uh, the bill and its initiatives like we should. I've had conversations just this, just this week, Joey, about the first uh, sections of the bill that we enacted a decade ago. It created a grant program to invest dollars into local community-based services for these children, evidence-based programs for these children to keep them engaged in school, to keep their families engaged and their parents accountable. Um, we have not under three governors and multiple budgets, both in a split legislature and now with super majorities that are Republican, at no time have I successfully gotten money funneled into that grant program. Uh, I would give us a, a, a D plus maybe or a C at best uh, for our failure to fund that. Because now we're hearing complaints at different places and we've seen numbers across the state with, uh, with reduced attendance rates and I can't help but wonder how much of a difference we could have made in the lives of the very children we're talking about and the kinds of children we're talking about if we had been investing over the last 10 or 11 years in those children and those communities where the need is instead of not investing in it and now reaping the consequences of that failure. So um, I, those are the grades I've given the reasons why there's obviously still an opportunity for us to do that. And as we're coming into a budget year, it's my hope that we do. So apart from budgeting allocations directed at programmatic solutions, uh, is there any need for further legislation on implementing specific provisions of Senate Bill 200, or is it it's purely a funding and an agency-driven process at this point? I think it's, I think it's chiefly a funding and agency-driven uh, effort at this point. That's not to say that, that there aren't some calls for amendments here and there or, or small adjustments. Uh, I'd like to see additional opportunities be given to juveniles that mess up. Here, here's a, a quote, and I've shared this every time I talk about juvenile justice, Joey, and I firmly believe in it. It's a Frederick Douglass quote. It's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. If we can invest in juveniles, in the children of Kentucky, in the children of pick the state that you're in, you can invest in their lives when they're still young, when they're still learning, and they're going to mess up and make mistakes just like you did, just like I did. But if we, can, if we can change the trajectory of their lives meaningfully, then we save and make orders of magnitude of difference for the lives of that child, their family, their smaller local community, their greater community, and the Commonwealth. And that's true in any state. Um, it's my hope that we can treat children like children. There, there's still some policy initiatives that I'd love to see, like a minimum age of criminal responsibility, uh, juvenile competency. Um, I'd love for us, I tried with Senate Bill 200 and, and failed. It was a compromise effort. Uh, I would love for us to prohibit outright the detention of status offending youth. And for those that aren't aware, the status offender, a status offense is a crime that's only a crime in the sense that a kid does it. If it was conduct that an adult did, it wouldn't be a crime at all. But because they're a child, we've deemed certain conduct um, disfavored, and we call that a status offense. And the biggest one, far away, so I am close, is truancy. Um, and that is a problem. That's a behavior that needs to be addressed. But if you only ever create a system that punishes that conduct, and you don't ever get to the rationale, the reason behind the truancy, if you don't ever investigate why the family isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing or, or holding that child accountable or helping raise that child correctly, then you're missing the boat and you're doing it at, at a much more expensive clip because detention in every state costs substantially more 
than the sort of local community-based interventions that exist and that are far more effective. And then, of course, in line with what you're saying, this is a, a generational problem, because if we don't reach those children, they don't become better men. And then those, it is. You, those you are and the I same men that them. are raising children. You and I, in court, in these dockets that you and I have had at different times as prosecutors and as defense attorney, in your case as well, we've seen, I, I don't know, I won't speak for you. I have seen a generation of children who were the, the children of the generation before that were in court. If you don't make differences and break that cycle of, of criminal conduct and, and interaction with the system, you're just you're not helping your your state grow and, and be better. You're not helping that human being that's in your community be better, contribute to the world meaningfully instead of keeping a, a spot warm inside the local county jail. Now, we've seen some wonderful work um, along these lines by, you know, nonprofits and other um, folks that just are doing good and aimed at uplifting the the community uh, and its youth. Uh, one that testified recently uh, was Kentucky Lions. They talked about a program yeah. called Lions Quest uh, before your committee. Um, and obviously that, that program is directed at kind of reforming a, a troubled youth's individual way of thinking, uh, but also kind of reformatting their social interaction and yeah. kind of giving them hope at an early stage when we're, we're developing them. Are you aware of any other programs uh, within a state that, that you think should be replicated to get after I, the... I think I appreciate you asking about the Lions Quest. I think it's a great program. And, and uh, the Lions Club there in Madisonville, that's Hopkins County, Kentucky. Uh, I don't represent Hopkins County, but it's nearby. And they, I think, are, are sort of a model for Lions Club International to use. I don't know that it's being rolled out anywhere else. I think LaRue County, Kentucky is looking at or using some of that curriculum, but I don't know that they've got a fully fledged program. But the best part of that, it does exactly what we've just now been talking about. You're investing in the life of each individual child. You're not treating them as, uh, as just the next case on the docket. You're not just responding or reacting to bad conduct with a consequence. The program is intended to redirect to change and to teach meaningfully, not just to punish, but to help teach that child and improve that child in a meaningful and lasting way. And my favorite part of the program, the apart from the approach to juveniles that it takes in the first place to kids, is that it's a multidisciplinary team effort. One of the one of the, the favorite parts of Senate Bill 200 was the FAIR team, Family Accountability Intervention and Response Team. And it's a multidisciplinary team modeled after drug court programs that we have here in Kentucky and that states have around the country. That multidisciplinary team, all of the people who want to help that, that person in drug court, and in this case, all the people who want to help that kid that is struggling with whatever that criminal case is or status offense case is, they all talk. They talk about little Joey or little Whitney. What's what's working for him? What's not working for him? How can we better respond to the conduct here? Is mom and dad in the picture? Are they doing what they need to need to be doing? Or are they are there other issues? Do we need to get them plugged into a service or a program here? First steps for a little kid or the boys and girls club for a uh, elementary kid or or a, a middle school or a high schooler where you can get mentoring. And I'll I'll say just for for context, the boys and girls club in Hopkinsville. It costs about $300, $350 per kid per year to provide those services. The detention facility in Kentucky a decade ago 
it costs over $100,000 per bed per year to detain a juvenile out of home. In Hawaii, it was approaching $200,000, and that was a decade ago. It was 100 and something ridiculous. And again, that was 10 years ago. That cost has only gone up. And then again, you're not doing anything to respond to the conduct. You're just punishing it. We deserve to do better for our children than we do for the adults even in the system. And in many cases, at least in Kentucky, we saw that we were treating juveniles even worse. Uh, those sorts of programs and interventions are great. There's a story I'm going to share quickly. And it's because of the FAIR team. And it's not a, an established program or something that we can fund directly, but it shows you the, the power and the impact of investing in each individual life based on the circumstances that that kid presents with. There was a kid in Southeast Kentucky, this has been several years ago, and he was missing school. And no one could understand why. No one, uh, he was going to be prosecuted for it. He would end up going every day, he'd skip school and then go hang out at this mechanic shop. These two brothers, I think, owned a mechanic shop. All they ever wanted to do is work on motors. And long story short, they talked to the mechanic owners. And they said, if you'll work with this kid, if we can get him in school, will you all work with him and encourage him to, to stay in school and then work with him in the afternoons? And that's exactly what happened. And so now that kid's in the classroom and still spending time doing what he loves to do, being mentored by people who appreciate the value of him being in the classroom. There's a way to respond to juvenile misconduct and crime and status offenses that doesn't involve and isn't as expensive and as harmful as detaining them. And any program that does that is worth investing in. Thanks, Senator. Um, and you get 100% agreement out of me on that one for sure. Um, transitioning to the, the current legislative cycle or the one that starts here in a number of days. I know we've got the, the day countdown on Twitter, I think. Um, recognizing that I, I think everyone across the state agrees something has to be done um, to kind of help out what's going on in our metropolitan areas within the state. Um, everyone knows that, that Kentucky is connected to really those those major cities within the Commonwealth. So if there's an increase in crime there, it's, it's felt all across the state. Um, what are some of your thoughts on the House's solution to this problem set in the form of the Safer Kentucky Act? And I realize that yeah, yeah, I haven't seen any public release of the bill. I know that- That makes two of us, Joey. Uh, I, my thoughts are that uh, I appreciate the spirit and the intent. I don't question the the good intentions of the the sponsor or the folks behind it. But I, and I've had a conversation with with Representative Bowman. Uh, my concern is that we do what data shows works. Too often, legislators in Kentucky and every other state, every other state, um, legislate based on a knee jerk reaction to edge case situations. Uh, the worst possible outcome happens in a pretrial release case. Uh, and everyone ignores the 98% of the times pretrial release decisions work just fine, and we legislate to the 1% or 2%. <clears throat> there are instances where you can see crime has gone up. I don't think you can say that's true across every place in the Commonwealth or, uh, or about every single offense category. My concern, and I've, I've shared this with him, I want to see what the bill does, and if it's narrowly targeted and the data backs up whatever it's got in it, then fine. That's worth considering. But if it's a knee-jerk thing, uh, if we're just reacting to uh, instances of crime, um, 
without regard to the data, without regard to the outcomes that we want to see. But if we're just going to punish more severely uh, or we're going to come up with harsher penalties because we think that's a deterrent when it's not, criminals aren't thinking about that before they commit crimes. At least none of the ones I ever prosecuted ever thought about that. Um, if we're not responding meaningfully, then it's just for show. It makes for a great press release, makes for a good campaign stump speech and a, and a direct mail piece. Uh, but it's it could be, if, it, if it's not carefully done and rightly done and, and driven by the data that we have, uh, it's a little more than that. And that would be a shame. So I'm, I'm eager to see it. We're, we're talking here on December the 7th. It's on the agenda for next Friday, December 15th, Judiciary Committee meeting. Uh, I was promised to see the bill about uh, a month and a half ago and still haven't seen it. So I'm not sure what to make of that. So we'll find out what's in it, I guess, as soon as I see it. Well, it, it continues to hide from us both, Senator. Um, I, I've certainly put feelers out and, and I'm doing my best to get after it. Uh, if I don't I know how it, else to it. ask for it than to go right to the bill sponsor and make a request. And, <clears throat> but we have seen we have seen summaries of its provisions. Um, if you were to take a hack at, at, at three of them that you see as potentially, I, I won't even say troublesome, I'll just say concerning, um, what, what would be the, the three provisions that you find um, the greatest concern with? So again, increasing uh, prison stays or um, increasing penalties, and I, I'm not gonna say no to any of it until I see the bill, uh, the wiretapping gives me a lot of concern, uh, though I've seen some some counter coverage of that describing why Kentucky is an outlier in that regard. Uh, but again, it, it's got to be done right. And I need to see the language. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of what the other uh, bullet well, points for are. For example, like you, you talked about offenses that are unique to, to juveniles. I think there's a provision in there to essentially criminalize that the truancy of parents from juvenile proceedings. Yeah, where, and, where you, and I, I would it, object strongly to that. Um, I, I think, and we just passed a bill in 2023, House Bill 3, that included some language in there that can hold parents more accountable. I think that's sufficient. I think we've done that. And in fact, we've already got a charge on the books, a, a felony on the books. It's unlawful transaction with a minor in the third degree that already permits the prosecution of a parent for failing to do what they're supposed to be doing. Um, as a parent under certain circumstances. So I, I'm, I'm very skeptical of anything that further uh, creates opportunities for juveniles to be uh, held in detention facilities. Because here's the bottom line. Again, everyone loves it. Everyone thinks it feels good. And you get the immediate sense of security and safety that you've done something to make your community safer. But what you've also done is make that kid many more times more likely to reoffend. And you've taken them away from any positive influence you could hope to give them, like a parent or a next door neighbor, aunt, uncle, family member, even a law enforcement or a school resource officer, school administrator. You've taken them away from any positive influence and you've put them in a facility with the absolute worst influences that you can give them. But forget for a minute how much it's more expensive for the taxpayer, though that's certainly an issue for some legislators. But you're making them better criminals. And it's, it, the long-term cost of that is it's foolish for us to do it that way. And further eroding the safety of, of the home as a place that they can come back to when you're criminalizing. No question. And, and when you're talking about moms. penalizing moms and dads or whoever the, the guardian is or the, the parent in the household, 
it's a delicate balance. I want to hold those parents accountable too. But if you lock them up, what are you going to do to the other kids in that household? What are you going to do to the bills that they've got to pay for and the, the expenses of living that they've got to pay for when they're in the county jail for a weekend yeah. or for a week? Uh, do they lose their jobs as a result of it? I, I realize everybody wants there to be a consequence, and that's understandable. But we can't just lock everybody up. That's That can't be the solution to every single problem that we see. Senator Westerfield, I, I wish we had more time. Uh, we don't. Um, I'm going to call this block one because I'm going to invite you back to do this again um, <laughs> All right. another time. I, I appreciate you coming here today. Um, I, I truly appreciate your time um, and your candor and and really your comprehensive understanding um, of the the environment uh, that's affected from the community all the way into corrections um, and and your work in this space is uh, is something that we're we're definitely going to miss and i can't wait to see who who takes up the fight uh in the senate um i i do have uh to say that you know for all of our viewers today uh please come back tune in there'll be more of this uh, but to find out more about these issues and more conservative solutions from across the nation please visit our website at rightoncrime.com thanks again senator westerfield thank you all I'm thankful for Right on Crime and your, your approach to criminal justice policy, uh, not just in Kentucky, but around the country. You're making, you're making a difference and you're helping old prosecutors like me see the value of doing things based on data and not what feels good, but what actually works the best to make our community safer. So well done.